You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We're going to switch gears just a little bit as we enter into this Christmas season to prepare us for the one of the greatest uh, occurrences and encounters and intersections and, and human history. And so, uh, as I mentioned last week, there's a lot of silence in in, uh, in in the Christmas story, and we're going to see some of these from what might be an unusual angle. I love to see different angles of the of the Bible and how God is so brilliant and 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 uh, bringing things to our attention. And so as we begin today, as we look at the Christmas story, we're going to back the train up a little bit. Now, many of you know my background's in music. I've played a lot of music theater in my day. And when you have a, a musical theater production, you always have an overture. And an overture is kind of, they pick different themes of the, the, you know, the musical play and they kind of jam them all together in this montage of different themes. And before, you know, the first actor comes on the stage, the orchestra and the orchestra pit, uh, they know the proper place to put musicians, you know, we're down where nobody can see us. And they're playing the overture and all these themes are kind of coming together. The overture, if I were to ask you, what's the overture of the Christmas story, you might logically say the Old Testament, right? As we're beginning to, you read through the Old Testament and then, you know, in your Bible, it's just so easy to turn to the last book of the, the Old Testament, Malachi, and flip the page and lo and behold, there is uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew. You're like, wow, that was an easy flip. That must have been on Wednesday, there is Malachi, and flip it on Thursday, there is, uh, you know, there's Matthew. But in between the Old Testament, and the New Testament, between the last word of the last prophet of, of uh, the Old Testament, there were 400 years of silence from God. In other words, he was interacting so much and so visibly in the Old Testament. And then, of course, Christ comes and represents Christ, God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And that, again, was one of the major intersections of human history but it represents something even beyond Christ's coming. It represents a piercing of four centuries of God saying, I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause with the interaction. And I want to look at that briefly because we could spend a lot of time. A lot of things happened in that 400 years. Now, our service today is going to be extended till 530 tonight because we're going to take each of those 400 years. And I'm just kidding. So in those 400 years, there were some things happening. The, the Maccabeans and there was battles and the temple was destroyed and built and, and just a lot of things happening. So we're going to generalize as we would have to for the sake of time today. But I think there's something from this period of time that is exactly where we are today. Now, God is moving. But he's not moving like he's going to move. I love that second song that we sang this morning. It's a new one, but here comes heaven. Because we are literally living in a position right now in this earth that God is certainly interacting, but not like he was visibly interacting in the Old Testament. And certainly like we could see and touch Jesus on earth when he was here. But heaven is coming. And we're in a we're in a, a, a kind of in a pause mode. It's a mode of grace. It's a it's a it's a stage of grace where the doors are wide open for everybody on earth to come. But there is coming a day when this is going to turn very visible. 
The invisible will become visible. Christ will reign on earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem. If you were to look at the book of Revelation, let me do a sidebar. I'm not to my notes yet, so brace yourself. <laughs> if you were just to do a sidebar here and look at the new Jerusalem, the United States is roughly 3,000 miles across from east to west. The new Jerusalem will be 1,500 miles across. Like, okay, that's a big deal. But 1,500 miles high. It will be like a cube, and it will be effervescent, and it will shine, and it will be be visible and Christ will be with us. Whoa, heaven is coming. That's just a little drip of what is about to happen. So we're kind of in this pattern right now as they were in between testaments. So the message of what happened and why the pause is as important then as it is now. What do we do in this pause of silence. Well, the first thing I want to say to us is that when you think about pauses, they're purposeful. There's always a, 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 a purpose to a pause. What do I mean by that? Well, today some of you may be watching football, okay? So if you, I don't know if you saw the, the LSU Georgia game yesterday for those of you that watch football, but at the half, as I remember, it was seven to 35 to 17. I think that was the score. So the halftime is uh, what I thought they were you pointing like, hey, they're, they're showing the game right now. Uh, are the Bucks playing? Are we losing yet? Oh, no. Sorry. The LSU. Got it. So uh, during the halftime, the halftime is purposeful because, hey, we got to get in the locker room and revamp. Something's not working for LSU or whoever the losing team is, or I don't know what the winning team says, you know, keep it up or, you know, get, you know, uh, knock off their socks or whatever it is. But in the halftime, the halftime is not just for snacks for the spectators. There's a deeper purpose for the teams, right? We got to we got to re-engage. It's a time during the Super Bowl where families that have any kind of children in their home should turn it off because the family entertainment is neither. So um, when you think about it, and that probably just offended someone. I don't care, whatever. <laughs> we have those those special kind of outlets in our bathrooms, right? Where they call GCI, GFCI, FGCI, TGIF, whatever they're called. GFI. Thank you. GFI. All right. Excellent. So when you when you plug it in, there's a little button on there that if there's too much of something, uh, you see how knowledgeable I am. There's too much of power, electricity. OK, you bet. I do home repairs if you ever need anything. It shuts off. It pauses because there's danger, right? There's a, this is why we have fuses. This is why we have breaker boxes. There's there's a purposeful pause. Okay, God during history had times of purposeful pauses like, hey, we got to stop. Let's take the story of Noah. There was a purpose in flooding the earth. And if you don't know the Bible and you're reading that story, you think God is mean. No, he's not. God had to pause the human race because it was out of control. And had he let it go, there would be no one, including Noah and his family. They probably would have been murdered. Why do I know that? In Genesis 6, 11, now the earth was corrupt in Noah's day in God's sight, and it was full 
of violence, not half full of violence, full of violence. We see violence on the rise in our own country. I'm telling you, it was nothing like it was then. So God had to say there's going to be a purposeful moment of silence here. And when the rain started and there was only one family left in a boat, uh, in a boat you know that the, the whole earth became silent. There was a time, if you you know, fast forward some pages, and you know, in advance, and you look at the you look at the story of uh, of Moses and how he's leading the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land, and they begin to to rebel against God. God says, "Okay, we're going to pause the program here." And the reason that we're going to pause the program is you guys are griping so much that when people begin to create their own narrative and it begins to be grouchy and it begins to be ugly, guess what happens? It's It takes other people with them. And God said, I can't let you guys get into the promised land because you're going to destroy it. You're going to destroy a good thing. So what happens is, let me give you a purpose, God said, for the pause. In Numbers chapter 14, in this desert, while you're wandering for 40 years of pause, this and your bodies are going to fall. You're going to die. Every one of you that's 20 years old or more was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one single one of you will enter the land, I swear, and with uplifted hand to make your home in the promised land, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and uh, Joshua, son of Nun. So in other words, there is a purpose to that. Again, you could read the Bible and think, man, God is angry. No, he's not. He had a purpose in mind, and he had to pause the, the operation. One more example. When you look at the, when the, the nation of Israel finally landed in the promised land and they kept going up and down, hot and cold, hot and cold, with God, without God, with God, without God. He said, okay, we're going to pause this thing for about 70 years and we're going to move you into exile. And the reason, again, and not is that God is angry, he has a purpose because he said to them in Jeremiah 29, he said, after you are in time out, this is what the Lord says, then you will get it. Then you will seek me and find me when you find when you seek me with all your heart and I'll be found by you. And then I'll bring you back from captivity. So when you start just to look at these bigger pictures, there are these purposeful pauses that God has. Here's what I want to say in this in this this thought. And we only have two thoughts today. Uh, because that's all my capacity. I've got two thoughts. I'm a two thought guy. We got like a GFI switch in the brain. It's out. There's too much thought. During these times of silence that are purposeful, God is preparing for the after silence part. So we're going to be in the locker room during halftime. We're not just in the locker room as a team, just eating snacks and, you know, quenching our thirst. We're preparing for the second half of the game. That's why we, we got to, okay, let's recalibrate. We're losing. We got to do this. Are we winning? Let's keep doing this. But what I notice is they're doing this and we got to do this and they're throwing it this way. So we got to do it this way. And they're, they're having all these conversations. I used to coach NFL football. I, I know a lot about this. So, so there's, a, th- there's a purpose for this pause of what's happening after the pause. There was a purpose in Noah and saying, we're going to flood the earth because I want to multiply the earth with godly people. So I've got to take the violent offenders out of the picture. So we got a shot at, re- at recalibrating here. I got to take the people that are spreading all their grumpiness in the desert 
so that we can say, hey, we've got to have people that love God and are unified in solidarity before we take the next step in the promised land. Otherwise, it's not going to work. We've got to have people that are seeking me. If you're going to call yourself a God follower, I've got to put you in exile and put you in timeout, right? So during this time, of silence between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, God was saying, there's a purpose here. And in this purpose, it is absolutely brilliant. Let me read you this simple scripture from Galatians chapter 4. And the Bible says this, But when the time had fully come, then God sent his Son, Then we turn the page to Matthew. In other words, what God is saying, now let's let's just back it up. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the creator who made your eyelashes. We're talking about the creator that has said, for those that apply, that he knows the hairs on your head. Mine are getting easier to, to count. Yours, some of you are too. God knows not the exact day that you will take your last breath, but the, the exact second on the exact clock where you will be. God already knows it because he's already living in the future. I know that's crazy, but he's already living in the future. God knows the exact moment when the trumpet will blow and here comes heaven, as we sang. God knows he's the one that created the mosquito wing. The breath, the whisper, the scent of a rose, what it looks like at sunset. God created all of that. So it's not far-fetched for God to say at the exact right nanosecond, when it was everything was in place, the silence was going to be pierced and then Christ came. Not only in some big conceptual spiritual reason, but even practical reasons. Why? Because the pause in the locker room was preparing. It was purposeful for what came after the halftime, after the pause. What do I mean by that? Well, here comes Christ. Christ didn't only come to save the world. Christ came to save the world and call to those humans who would answer his call to spread the word of God throughout the earth no longer just to the nation of Israel. In order to do that, certain things needed to happen, and they all happened in that 400-period halftime, the 400-year period. Stunning. I have a little list. Allow me to read for just a second. Never before in history up to this point was there what would be called the union of nations. In other words, because the Greeks had conquered so many countries and then the Romans came and conquered so many countries, certainly they were under oppression. But it wasn't this nation fighting this nation fighting this nation and all these fightings around the. In that whole Mediterranean region, there was one empire. And even though that wouldn't be the ultimate government, uh, you know, model, it unified and caught and, and had what was called Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. That there was maneuverability. Like if you go to Europe right now, if you want to go to France and then Germany and then Switzerland and Austria, you can do it. I mean, you can 
move all around. And that allowed for, after this pause, guess what? Mobility. Christ came and said, go into all the world. And all of a sudden, he had created in these 400 years mobility. Not only that, the Greeks, when they conquered, they made the language, the Greek language, a common language. And the common language then was Greek. Jesus used Greek. Before that time, you'd have different languages all throughout, and it would have been difficult to deliver the gospel unless during that 400-period time, during that, that, that God had prepared not only kind of a one-empire thing, but a one-language thing that we could talk to each other so people could understand the gospel when it was print, uh, prepared. Don't forget, God made mosquito wings. He knew what he was doing. Not only that, the Romans built amazing roads so that you could actually travel with the gospel during that time. Not only that, that ships were really becoming uh, in, into their own, so to speak, and passenger ships so that when, when Paul got on the ship, it's because they during that time they had kind of Float it to the top, pardon the pun, so that that you that, that they could run. So many different things uh, uh, come in. So we could, there's a whole list. Okay, let's put it in our own context. Here we are, paused into the locker room of grace. We're waiting for heaven to come. We're just like in that 400 year period, although it's been 2,000 years, and we're waiting for Christ to come. Here's some things that are happening during this pause that matter. First of all, Israel is regathered for the first time in history since Jesus' time. There is a rise of globalism. Why? Here's the purpose. You see, when Jesus said, go into all the world, the, the whole world that they knew at that point was the Mediterranean world in, the, in Eastern, Western Europe and whatnot. But now when you look at the book of Revelation, it is around the world. We are now in a position that, are, that God is preparing and he is, he is moving where, where it's like a small village around the world. There is a rise of globalism. There is a trend toward a one government world. I won't get into the, the details of this, but you, if, you, if you're in tune with what's happening around the world, there's a, there is a, uh, the, a trend toward one government, uh, one world government. There is an invasive technology. Just show of hands. How many of you guys have a smartphone? Raise your hand, hide and bold. Yes. If, who does not have a smartphone? Mm-hmm. Anybody here doesn't have a smartphone? Oh, uh, gotcha. Get out. Okay, so. Way to hold the line, bro. All right. Do you have a flip phone? All right. They're coming back. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I wore a tie for the first time in three years yesterday at the wedding. I had to iron it. Found it in the back of a closet. Someone made comment of how old it looked. I'm like, I'm waiting for it to come back. Just like that. It's gonna be, I always circle back. <laughs> Have you noticed that technologies invasive and things that are happening in the book of Revelation where the whole world sees the two witnesses killed would be impossible with that technology that we have now. Now it's it's I speak to so many countries in one week right from my right from my desk here in my office. It's amazing. There is a declining moral and spiritual corruption. Uh, 
There is a proliferation of deception. There is an assault on truth. We know that in our country. I just read a, a uh, an article in Christianity Today that there is a steep increase in Christian persecution. We don't feel it here, but we feel it everywhere. The Christian population in Syria has plunged just to give you an idea, in Syria alone, we had a small circle team in there just about a month ago, it has plunged, the Christian population in Syria has plunged from 1.5 million to 300,000 right now. You can just see. 360 million Christians, 360 million Christians, that's more than every person, man, woman, and child in the United States, 360 million Christians are living in countries where they now face persecution. Last year in 2021, there were 5,000 churches that were attacked and burned to the ground. There is a growing unified hostility and coalition against the nation of Israel. We are moving in our technology to a, a crypto uh, currency. That is, no, that, is, that is no surprise for anybody that's reading news and reading the Bible. What I'm saying to you is three simple words, and you've already sung them. Here comes heaven. Here comes heaven. Why? Because when Christ comes and rules, he is going to rule the earth. He's not just going to rule in Israel. He's not just going to rule in the Mediterranean. He's going to rule in what we currently know as Africa and Australia and Eastern Western Europe and what we currently know as Russia and what we currently know as China. Christ is preparing for the millennial, for the new heaven and the new earth. And we have the privilege then of being in this pause as we wait for heaven. And if you thought church and Christianity were boring, we're not reading the same book. And if that's totally confusing for you, man, God is inviting you into the game because it could be the most exciting thing. Here's the second point. The second point is this. During this silence, during every silence, whether it was the exile, whether it was the exodus, you know, the wilderness, all, all those times, during points of silence, God is looking for anchors. God is looking for anchors. Do you remember when he said to, to, uh, about the, the uh, exodus in the wilderness, all of you cats are going to die. Except my two anchors, Joshua and Caleb. During the exile, everybody got comfortable even living outside of uh, in Babylon, Assyria, except guys like Nehemiah and Ezra. God is looking for anchors, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. You, you, you got to tune into this, my American brother and sister in Christ. This, in this silence, is an audition. This is, this is an interview. You are living an interview with Christ. If all you want to do is become a Christian and make sure you're not going to hell and make sure you're going to heaven, I'm telling you, you're missing the exciting part. The exciting part is we will serve Christ. 
in the new heaven and the new earth. And every indication, the parable of the miners, the parable of the talents, take charge of ten cities. Christ is looking for anchors during the halftime, during the pause, so that for the purpose, he's looking for lieutenants and captains and majors and generals to engage. And if we don't, if we get caught up in the silliness if I, if I might just be passionate and just unleash myself here, brace yourself for impact, because I love you and I want the best for you and I want you to see, serve Christ in the millennium, in the new heaven and new earth, like, like, oh, thank you for someone telling me there wasn't just harps and heaven and, and clouds and angels and all that good stuff, right? The fuzzy warm stuff. Christ is looking for anchors and warriors, and we're too, and as a Christian church, we can get too caught up in like, oh, this person's upset. Oh, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go over here. I'm going to leave and I'm going to get upset. Hey, stop it. The game is much bigger. I'm angry. No, I'm just kidding. I do get frustrated, as you probably do. It's like you got cancer. And you're really worried about the little cut on your ankle. Like, come on. It's a bit bigger than that. Have you ever heard of the centennial light bulb? I had never heard of it. The centennial light bulb was invented in 1901, and it's never gone out. It's never gone out. Where you buy it? Yeah, Home Depot. It's way in the back. It's interesting you should ask where you buy it. You see, if you sit up here in the front row, you get snacks, you get interaction. I mean, feel free to pipe in, Bill. Uh, where do you buy it is a great question because we used to have an incandescent light. I guess we still do to a certain degree. But I went to, I had a, we had a little spotlight in our, in our living room. It shines, you know, on the, on the wall. And uh, I wanted a spotlight, not a floodlight. I wanted to kind of focus on this little picture that we have. And so I went to Home Depot just a couple, just a couple weeks ago. I couldn't find it. I asked, I asked, I asked, I asked, because we don't make those anymore. We now have LEDs, right? Well, the LED is supposed to last 20 years. I'm the same, trust me, right? They say 20 years. But it's what's called, here comes, planned obsolescence, which means it's planned to be obsolete. Companies have proven with, with this light bulb that has been burning since 1901 that it can be done. But I feel if you own an Apple computer or a phone, I feel like I've spent more in cords and adapters than I have on the actual you know, phone. They're always, have you noticed that? They're always changing the adapter. Well, can I use the old? No. Oh, it's a new adapter. And that new adapter is going to cost you $45. That old adapter is now obsolete. You see, the light bulbs we used to get, they were actually somewhere behind the scenes planned to be obsolete. Because we could have given you this one. Because this centennial light bulb has been burning since 1901. I want that one in my kitchen. <laughs> Christ is looking for those who don't make themselves obsolete. But our enemy, if I might just be full throttle, full knowledge here, our enemy 
has planned obsolescence for you. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what the argument is, he wants to take you out so that your light bulb burns out. Don't let anybody take it away. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly. Wow, what a word. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who, is pro- who promised that is, an, is faithful. Let us consider how we might spur one another on with love, good deeds. Let us not quit coming to church. If I might put it in our language, gathering and meeting together as some are in the habit. But let us encourage one another. Why? And all the more because here comes heaven. That's our purpose, to encourage one another as you see the day approaching. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has come to us in the form of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present halftime. During this pause, why? While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say a a crazy word to you as we end this. And I know it's going to, it may be a little bit of a, a shocker, but I know for us living in this day and age, As we wait for Christ, some would say it takes faith to trust that Christ is coming. I would alter that a little bit. I say it takes confidence. Now, what do I mean by that? There are certain things in life that I think like, okay, I got to I got to exercise a little faith on that one. Right. Let's take when some of the Old Testament things like, you know, when the 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 Red Sea split. Okay, that requires some faith. Why? I really haven't seen a lot of lakes open up in my lifetime, right? So I'm like, by faith, I believe in the word of God. But because of the first coming of Christ, and because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled to the point of dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It's not requiring me a lot of faith that Christ is on the way back. I have confidence based on the of the Old Testament. I doubt Georgia. Did they win the game yesterday? Oh, good. Because this illustration would go right out the window. I doubt that Georgia went into the locker room and the coach said, man, what are we going to do? I don't know if we're going to win this game. Oh, gosh. Oh, somebody help me out. Somebody give me some suggestions. No, they went in to that game undefeated. True statement? Undefeated. They went into the locker room doubling the score of the other ones. They didn't have to muster up a lot of faith that they're going to win the game. They had confidence that they were. As Christ followers, 
We don't have to like, oh, I hope he's coming back. We know he's coming back. Here comes heaven. He is our confidence. Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of what we're hoping for. We just read that he's the blessed hope. The, the, the substance of, uh, of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I want to show you a picture of a clock, uh, if I can. This clock sits on my home office desk. It is set at 545. It no longer works. This is my dad's clock. This was my dad's clock. And my dad was like clockwork. He left the home uh, every Monday morning, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning at 545. And every day he arrived back home at 545. He drove 100 miles round trip every day, 40 years, 545. Now, let me tell you my feelings about that clock at 545. Sometimes that meant, oh, no, it's 530. And dad's going to find out that I fill in a blank. There was like, oh boy, uh, here he comes. Oh, I heard the car drive up. Oh, there he is. I heard the door shut. Okay, if I ran away right now. Sometimes it was 5.45. Man, we're going to a movie tonight. Oh, it's only 5.15. Oh, man, I can't wait. Oh, I think I hear his car. He's here. Oh, mom's getting ready. We're going to have fun. We're going to be together. Sometimes it's so we used to live in Virginia. Oh, we're gonna go Daytona. This is the night where we gotta go to bed, you know, so early, probably 7 p.m. So dad wakes up at two and drives all night without air conditioning to get to Florida. This is the night. All of us have X number of feelings about the second coming of Christ. Some of it, some of us are right now like, hey, say no to ungodliness because heaven is on its way. But I'm going to tell you, just like my dad's clock is set, the clock for Christ's coming, our blessed hope, is set. Set. How will we live differently? Will we live in anchors? I'm going to embarrass you guys just a little bit, Matt and Christy. My wife was crying during the, during the baptism today. We knew Matt and Christy before they were dating. We knew them before they were born. Okay, it's a little too far. <laughs> We knew them before they were dating. We saw them get there. We were there when we got they got married. Seen how you become parents. How you own your own business. Track together as good friends. When we planted this thing called 360, I guess, gosh, we've known each other since 95. So however how many, it's too early for math. So figure that out for me. You're on the front row. And to see this intersection, when we planted uh, 360, other than my wife, there were six people. They were two of them. Listen carefully. Anchors matter. Anchors matter. Been through ups and downs, right? And this church and our lives, ups and downs. 27 years. 27 years. 
27 years. Our culture is too obsolescent. You hang in there. You be faithful. It matters. Your anchors. And whether you know it or not, believe it or not, like it or not, you're auditioning. You're auditioning. Dad's clock is set. He's coming. First John 20, we end with this, First John 2, 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appear, appears, we might be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Let me pray with you. Thank you, Father, for the hope of your coming, the confidence of your coming. Thank you, Father, for loving us, for knowing us. And God, we pray that today, if we need alarm, you'll alarm us. If we need woken up, you'll wake us up. If we're too involved in the petty, God, help us to be in, in our, our minds lifted and elevated. We are warriors. We are soldiers. Pray that you'll find us anchored, unswerving. We pray, God, for those who are looking for you, exploring you, trying to figure this whole thing out. We've seen so many lives on this video today of young people saying, man, my life was falling apart. Death in the family, sickness in the family, feeling lost, emotional, uh, uh, emotionally feeling lost. It's all spiritually lost without Christ. Seeing what a difference he's made and what a difference, God, you've made in our lives. So we pray, God, for those sitting in this room, sitting at home, sitting in their car, wherever they might be. Let me, as we're in prayer, as we're going to pause with a purpose, this prayer, and as we're in that mode of prayer, let me ask you directly, do you know Christ? Can you say that he is the Lord of your life, that he's driving your life? Can you say that you, without a doubt, if you took your last breath right now, that's the timeline of your clock. If you took your last breath right now, are you sure? Are you confident that you would be ushered into God's presence? Not because of what you've done. It doesn't count. Someone, one of the, one of the students said that in the film. Could do a million good things. It's Christ. It's Christ covering your life. You see, Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. That His own son, Jesus Christ, died for us. And he died for us because we couldn't work ourselves up to be godly enough to be in God's presence. So we understood our brokenness, our imperfection as sinners. And he calls us to repent. He calls us to turn, to turn our direction towards him. Not to earn our way, but to fall on him to trust him, to fall in his arms with complete confidence and say to him, I trust you alone. I trust Jesus alone for the blood that he shed on the cross to wash every sin. Think about it, to wash every sin so that God sees you as righteous. Or what, won't you reach out to him right now? And from your heart, in the most sincere and genuine way. Say, God, I change directions. And you just pray this to him if you're serious. I change directions. I, I realize 
I can't earn your love, your acceptance. I am broken, God. I am a sinner. I am imperfect. And right now I'm going to trust in Christ alone above all things. Above all people, I'm going to trust in Christ and in the blood that he shed as the perfect lamb of of God on the cross. Is that your prayer? Don't skim over it. This is not just some religious part of this time. This is your life. I trust Christ right now for the forgiveness of my sin. I turn my life toward you, God. Is that your prayer? Oh God, I embrace you now. I embrace Christ. I put my faith in Christ. Is that your prayer? Bring new life in me, God. Bring new life in me. Is that your prayer? Thank you, Father, so much today for this time of this locker room pause that we're living in. Help us to walk unswervingly, live as anchors so that we will reign and serve with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.